Kayla. Well, good morning. Thank you, uh, worship team. Thank you. And uh, Darren and Marta, thank you for your testimony as well. Maybe they're, I don't know if they're here right now or not. But anyway. Um, well, we have uh, been in our, uh, in our Advent series. So this is the second week of Advent for us here at Valley Bible Church. And, and uh, we, uh, we have a theme, the mystery in the manger, which is uh, the theme for our Advent series, um, looking at 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 9 as our theme verse, uh, which reads this way, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, in which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. We've been uh, before Advent, and we will be after Advent in the, uh, in the uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to uh, the church in Corinth. And so we thought it fitting, even though we were, we were coming up uh, on Advent, to have this theme uh, and to, to look at, these, uh, at the, the themes of, of each week of Advent. So hope and faith and, and joy and love, and to look at those uh, a little bit through the lens of 1 Corinthians, what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians and then, of course, also how they relate to, uh, to the nativity, to this time as we head toward Christmas in much anticipation uh, of our celebration of the birth of Christ. And our theme for this week, as you've seen already and has been uh, already um, shared in the testimony, uh, is that of faith. And so we'll be looking uh, just a few verses earlier in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in our, in our kind of starting text this morning, uh, what Paul has to say about faith there. And then we'll be also looking in Luke chapter 1 uh, at, at what uh, Mary's testimony of faith looks like uh, this morning. I hope uh, you were able to, this last week, after Ben's encouragement last, uh, last Sunday, go home and, uh, and read the first chapters of Luke. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to, to do that this week uh, as you prepare your heart for, for Christmas and for this Advent season, a time of preparation that is the other... Uh, Sometimes faith, sometimes preparation is the second week in Advent, um, but that idea of, of preparing our hearts for, for the arrival of Christ, and so a fitting thing for us to do. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5, um, and I invite you to stand as we read this as you are able, um, and if you are able, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, God's word for us this morning, it reads this way. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this season. We thank you for Advent. Lord, we thank you for, um, for the gift of your Son that we are uh, looking uh, forward to the celebration of here in just, just a few short weeks. Lord, uh, Lord, would you, uh, would you give us that anticipation, that, uh, that love of this season that perhaps we, 
we had as a child, Lord, if we don't have it still, Lord, would we delight in the, the mysterious uh, things that you have for us in your word, the mysteries that you have revealed to us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, this, this mystery uh, that has come in the manger, Father God, would you, uh, would you do that amongst us, would you build our faith during this holiday season, and as we look at your word this morning as well, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Believe. Believe is a word that is often associated with faith. And you may even have seen it around on signs like this one. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a sign I took from home and modified because I normally hang it up this time of year. Ta-da! Believe. Believe. Perhaps like me, you see that word everywhere at Christmas. I know it often comes up as we, uh, as we begin to look at Christmas time and Advent and, and that uh, just this time of year. This idea of believe, we have two other ones. One says joy, awesome, right? A really big. And the other one says be merry, be merry. Uh, yes, great words for us to think about. Believe, believe uh, is very close in, in the biblical language. It's uh, essentially the same, the same word as they contain uh, as faith. Faith is the, the root word really of believe. Uh, the word translated to believe for us. The 16th century theologians broke saving faith down into three basic parts. They're Latin terms. Uh, you'll see there, um, and I'm going to use uh, ecclesiastical Latin pronunciation. So for you Latin lovers out there, or you lovers of Latin out there, um, I don't know if you're Latin lovers, but anyway. Um, but but uh, anyway, if, if my pronunciation seems off, don't worry, I know. So uh, three, three different uh, parts, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. And notitia refers to the content of our faith, that essential information necessary uh, for one to know and to understand in order to have saving faith, namely for us, the person and the work of Christ. A census refers to an intellectual assent or acceptance of that information, of that uh, notitia. But those two are not sufficient. And so there's a third part that is a third component that is essential. We must also have fiducia. And as R.C. Sproul put it, uh, he did a good job of defining this. Uh, fiducia is personal truth and reliance, that aspect of faith that involves a genuine affection for Christ that flows out of a new heart and a new mind. It is this fiducia level of saving faith that can be engendered only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our faith in and of itself is a demonstration of the power of God. It is, as the Apostle Paul will say in the second chapter of Ephesians, a gift of God. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But for now, the observation specifically that our faith must have this notitia, some content. There has to be something on which it is found or based an, an object uh, in the English language believe as a word is, is similar it's a, a transitive verb which means that it requires an object um, to receive its action so we can't just have a word like believe because believe makes us have to ask the question believe in what believe in what I love Christmas. 
Okay, uh, around the office, I get in trouble because I start playing Christmas songs too early. The official rule is as soon as the first snow falls, Thanksgiving is a Christmas celebration. Okay, so all of you need to understand Thanksgiving is, I know I'm in the minority, but uh, Thanksgiving is a Christmas celebration, at least for me. And so we're thankful for Jesus. And if you're not thankful for Jesus, then don't celebrate Thanksgiving, right? Anyway, all right. So I love Christmas. I love, uh, I love the lights and the trees. I love the snow. I'm one of the ones praying for snow every year. That's why I live in the Northwest and not somewhere else because it snows here sometimes, not as much as it needs to, but that's okay. Um, but we get some snow, and I like snow. I like the warmth of a fire and candles burning in the house. I like the smell of, of uh, the treats being baked in the oven, and, and I love all of that. Um, and uh, I love that all so much. I really wish we could just do it all year round, um, but then it wouldn't be probably as special. But uh, if I were being honest with you this morning, I would have to admit to you that, that I love those things so much that so often my focus is on those, those elements of, of Christmas, the traditions of Christmas, and so often not on the object, the reason for our celebration. Believe in what, we ask. Well, I'm excited to tell you that this year I have found an answer as I've been looking online. Yes, I do look online at Christmas decorations and in stores. Um, but looking at different things, um, very many crafty signs and T-shirts and all sorts of things have this wonderful message on them. Believe in the magic of Christmas. We figured it out. That's what we're supposed to believe in is the magic of Christmas. But, but what is this magic of Christmas? Well, it, it's magic, first of all. It's unseen supernatural power. And it's the magic that allows sleighs to fly and reindeers to pull them through the sky. It allows for time to seemingly stand still. And it allows for a jolly, chubby fellow, portly fellow in a red suit with a big sack to make it up and down chimneys and even in and out of houses that don't have chimneys as he delivers overnight presence to all of the good little boys and girls around the world, right? That's the magic of Christmas. Do you believe it? Oh. Do you believe in the magic of Christmas? That's not what we're talking about, is it, when we think about the magic of Christmas? It may be, and parents and grandparents, myself included, a word of caution for us, that we be cautious this time of year, the things that we say, the things that we do, that we be cautious that the things that we are telling our children or that we are showing them by our actions in our lives are clear on what is and what isn't true. It is fun to pretend. We love to pretend a lot of things around this season at our house, but we're also clear with our children. And we must all be clear with our children about what and what is not true. And that isn't to say that we ought to dismiss everything mystical and magical and wondrous. We ought not to do that because we know the truth. There are wondrous things that often, though beyond our wildest imaginations and comprehension, are true. As our theme verse says, things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man. But things that we know to be true because the Holy Spirit has revealed to those to us by faith and through His Word. We know these wonderful things, things that we cannot even comprehend. 
What could be more magical and mysterious than that which is contained within the lowly manger? The incarnation, God becoming flesh to dwell among his people. Being born of a virgin, what could be more wondrous, more miraculous than this birth? And I know we, we say that often, right? When, when a child is born, it's, it's a miracle. We're testimony this morning of, really, of God's work, miraculously. And, and so I don't want to diminish that, but, but compared to this one, this was a miracle. A true miracle beyond any other. This ought to capture our attention with with great delight. What do you believe in? Perhaps a good thing for us to think about as we head toward the Christmas season. In what does our faith rest? Paul begins in our text and in the first chapter of the letter uh, by reminding the Corinthians that when he came to them, he didn't come with uh, with. A fancy speech when he came to preach the gospel. He didn't roll into town with a great light show and a fog machine and a cool band and then get up and give a a cleverly put together emotion evoking message that would somehow capture the hearts of of the Corinthians. He didn't do that. No, he didn't come with persuasive words of of wisdom. And as he told them, he didn't do that so that their faith would not rest on the wisdom of man but on the power of God. So if you're taking notes this morning and in an outline, some of you may want to do that, but our, our first one, if you haven't figured it out, is, is faith that rests on the power of God. We ought to have faith that rests on the power of God. Again, when Paul came and preached to them, and they believed it wasn't because of his great preaching. Their faith in the message he preached was a demonstration of the power of God. Because their faith was the work of the Holy Spirit. Our faith must rest on the power of God because it is by very nature a demonstration of His divine power at work within each one of us who believe. It is the power of God that takes a dead man and makes him alive. It is the the power of God that takes the blind and makes them see. It's the power of God that takes an enemy and makes them not just a friend, but a son a daughter of the Most High God. It is the power of God that makes it possible for a virgin to conceive and bear a son. It is the power of God on display in a lowly manger in the little town of Bethlehem. And so I want to turn our attention now to to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at, at the power of God as it's exemplified through the faith of Mary. Mary's faith rests on the power of God. See that in the nativity story. If you want to turn there, I'll have some of the, the verses that I'm actually going to quote will be on the screen as we go through. Um, but we don't have time to read the entire passage, obviously. Or well, we do, but that's all we'd be able to do this morning. So we'll look just, uh, just a little bit uh, at some of the verses, uh, and we'll, we'll work through them. In verses 5 through 25, um, we find the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias is a priest working in the temple and has fallen on him to burn the incense, and so he goes in to burn incense, and while he is in there, Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appears to him and tells him that his barren wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby boy named John. 
and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. We know him as John the Baptist. Baffled by this news, Zacharias asks for some form of further confirmation. How will I know this? He asks. The passage clarifies that this wasn't simply a question, but that Zacharias did not believe the message that Gabriel had given him. And because of that, he would remain mute, unable to speak until the time that John would be born. Elizabeth does indeed conceive... And then our passage moves on. The camera zooms out and then back in. In verses 26 to 38, we see the angel Gabriel again appearing this time to Elizabeth's relative, the young virgin girl named Mary. Mary is betrothed to be married to Joseph, but they aren't married yet. Gabriel greets Mary with a greeting that leaves her a bit perplexed. And then he tells her this. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Wow! Mary, you're going to conceive and and bear a son. And not only that, but he'll not just be any baby boy, not just any son. He's going to be king. And not just any king. His kingdom will have no end. And I love Mary's response to that because she goes, literally, how will this be since I am a virgin? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) How am I going to have a baby She doesn't respond to Gabriel in the same way that Zacharias did. No, her response is basically this. Okay, please explain. Just how is this going to happen? Because not sure if you understand how this works in the angel world, but I'm a virgin. I'm not even married yet. And so Gabriel goes on to explain, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response is quite simple after hearing this news. A demonstration of faith, of trust. In God, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Mary has faith that rests on the power of God, not on the wisdom of men. From a human perspective, this plan isn't even possible, right? In what world is this possible that a virgin could conceive and bear a child and remain a virgin? Yet Mary believes that God has the power to do exactly what he said he would do. That the power of the Most High would overshadow her and that she would conceive and bear the Son of God. For as Gabriel had said, nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? Does your faith rest on the power of God or on the wisdom 
of man? Do you believe in the supernatural power of God? Because that's, that's true magic. Magic means supernatural power, right? That things, does things. The power of God on display in the manger, that is the magic of Christmas that we can really believe in, that we can rejoice in, that we can find to be wonderful and magical and mystical. Like Mary, our faith ought to rest on the power of God. And we'll continue to see Mary's faith in the power of God as we move on. We're also going to look at a couple of other things. Her, her faith in that rests in the powerful promises and the providence of God. These things are, are, are all seen in, the, in these passages, but we'll look specifically first at the, the faith that rests in the promises of God. Faith that rests in the promises of God. Gabriel leaves, and in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, we see that Mary goes to visit her relatives. She goes to visit Elizabeth and Zacharias. When she arrives and greets Elizabeth, who is at this point six months pregnant, Zacharias still can't talk. Probably Elizabeth's looking forward to some company. I don't know. Um, but but when, when she arrives, the baby leaps in, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and cries out with a loud voice these things regarding Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And I'll call your attention to the, the last verse, what she says next of Mary in verses 45. And it's an interesting picture. Uh, Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think she's meaning to necessarily um, necessarily juxtapose her, her, her husband's lack of faith and Mary's faith in this next verse. But it is a stark, a stark contrast when we read these words. Elizabeth says this, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord through Gabriel, who had also appeared to Zacharias. Mary's faith rests in the, the promises of God. She believed that, that God would do exactly what he said he would do. Not just that he could do it, but that he would do exactly what he said. These words spoken of Mary are similar to, to uh, what the author of Hebrews says of Sarah when he writes this, that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. You read the Old Testament account, doesn't always seem that way. But in the author in Hebrews tells us that she considered him, that is God, faithful who had promised. And as we head into this holiday season, does your faith rest in the promises of God? Does your faith rest in the promises of God? Do you consider him faithful who has promised? Do you know the promises of God for you? Hard to know whether or not he'll be faithful to keep them if we don't know what they are. And we find them by spending time in His Word. I encourage you to do that. There are many that are worth knowing and committing to memory. As we spend time with God in His Word, we see the promises He has for us. As Mary faces this enormous task, she too considers Him faithful who had promised. Her faith rests 
in the promises of God and closely related to God's power and His promises, it also rests in the providence of God. In verses 46 through 55, we see in Mary's response her understanding of God's powerful providential work throughout redemptive history as God fulfills His incredible promises over and over to His people. As we read uh, these verses, you can read them with me. They'll be on the screen. Let's see if you can recognize as we read this God's providence and His promises and His power, His mighty acts at work. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has... For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Almighty One, or the Mighty One, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary recognizes God's providential work throughout history with the people of Israel from generation after generation of those who fear Him. She sees God's power on display in mighty deeds that He has done with His arm, as it says. And the way He fulfills His promises, the Word spoke that He spoke to their fathers, to Abraham. She recognizes these things, but she doesn't only see and understand God's providential work on this grand scale like we sometimes can, but she also recognizes God's providential work in her own life, bringing her to this point, this moment that she finds herself in. It's not a simple situation for her. And yet she sees God's work and His hand in it. And she does so with humility and rejoicing. It brings her to worship in this beautiful, these beautiful words that she proclaims, known as the Magnificat. It leads her to worship even though the situation Mary finds herself in as a, a not yet married pregnant, young virgin, betrothed to a law-abiding, God-fearing man who would do the right thing. This was going to be a very complicated situation for her. Yet she had faith that rested on the providence of God. She understood that God was working all things together for His purpose and that she got to be a part of that incredible plan. And so do you and so do I. We too get to be a part of God's redemptive plan from ages past. 
as we are part of this grand tapestry that He is weaving together for His glory. Your life is a part of God's providential plan. Your life itself is a part of God's providential plan. And I'm confident that in a church our size, there are many of us who find ourselves in in challenging situations this season. Looking ahead, perhaps it's a situation with, with your health. I know there are those who have serious health situations within our body and family members that do. Maybe it's a diagnosis of a serious illness. Perhaps it's a, a situation at work, a challenge there. Maybe even a lost job or, or the threat of a lost job and you're wondering, how can I provide for my, my family, especially during this season? Or how am I going to going into the new year? Maybe it's a, a family situation, relationships that are on the rocks. Maybe the absence of a relationship that you desperately desire. Whatever situation you find yourself in, this morning you can rest in the providence of God. As Ben asked a few weeks ago, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him with your life? Things may not be easy. They for sure weren't for for Mary in this situation. Yes, she has much to rejoice over, but it was going to be a challenging situation as well. We must have faith that rests on the providence in the providence of God, recognizing that all things, down to the, the minute details of our life, are by His hand. We must have faith that rests in the, the promises of God, believing that He will be faithful to accomplish all that He has said He will do. That includes working all things together for our good, whether or not we can see it or understand it in a given moment. We must have faith that rests on the power of God, remembering that even our faith itself is a demonstration of His power at work in us, a gift given by His gracious hand and by His supernatural power with which He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Do you believe it? Do you believe in these things? It is worthy of note that in the Magnificat, the verses that we just read, Mary's uh, incredible, theologically rich declaration there, um, that she not only recognizes that through this gift of this baby, that God was weaving her very life into His redemptive plan, but she also recognizes her own need of a Savior. Though she would carry this baby boy, though she would give birth to him, hold him in her arms, watch him grow, yes, those were real tangible things. Yet He was the Messiah. He was the one who was promised that would come. The one who would save His people from their sins. Here in the manger was God made flesh. Her faith would come to rest as ours must in the person of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The word of the cross, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. 
Because the gospel is all about Jesus, right? It's the good news of, of Christ, of His coming, of His, of His birth, of the incarnation. Of course, His entire life. And His death, and His resurrection, and His coming again. What good news. A few verses later in verse 23, He says, We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God. We read, uh, we read this book, have read this book with our older kids. We're reading it again with, uh, with our younger kids. Um, the Mighty Acts of God by Star Mead. I love that it focuses on the power of God throughout uh, the Bible. It's a Bible story book. Um, and I, uh, we're not there yet as a family, but I flipped forward uh, to the, the birth of Jesus story and read it this week, just uh, looking at Advent and, and wondering if we would get there in time. We might skip ahead anyway. But one of the things I appreciated uh, about it is, is that it doesn't just focus on this cute little story of Jesus in the manger like some kids' storybooks do. Um, but there's some theological depth here that I, that I really appreciate. I wanted to read just a little bit about the incarnation uh, for you from this, from this book. Um, it says this, When Jesus came to live among us, he did not appear as a man. He actually became man. We call this the incarnation. To incarnate something is to put it into human flesh. At Jesus' incarnation, the Son of God continued to be the Son of God, but also became a real human being. Jesus is the only being to ever exist who is both God and man. He will continue to be both God and man forever. Coincidentally, this week I was I'm also in a small uh, group, there's a, just a few of us guys that were going through a the, theological um, book together. We're going through Biblical Doctrine by John MacArthur and Richard Mayhew. And uh, we happened, of course, happened in God's coincidence, no, providential plan, uh, to be going through through a, a passage that had this, this uh, little uh, paragraph in it that just stood out to me as I was preparing. Uh, and I mentioned it to the guys, and so, and so I was going to going to read it here, but it also has to deal with the importance of the incarnation. And it reads like this, Jesus will forever be fully God as well as fully man. He is the last Adam, the head of the church and the representative head of all redeemed mankind. This fact of his continuing humanity is as significant for the accomplishment of redemption as is his continuing deity. Christ had to be man to represent believers in living a holy life on earth that could be imputed to believers and to be their sacrificial substitute on the cross. He also had to be their leader through death into resurrection. The incarnation isn't just some theological concept that uh, is reserved for those who, who are in theology studies or seminary. No, it's an essential tenet of our faith. It's important for all of us to, to understand and to believe the importance of the incarnation. One author puts it this way, said this, Without the incarnation, Christianity isn't even a very good story. And most sadly, it means nothing. 
The Apostle Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians that without the resurrection, his preaching was in vain and their faith was in vain. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And we could say so much more about it, but the same could be said about the incarnation. Here in the manger, we see a marvelous mystery unfold. The power of God on display in a miraculous act. This is the true magic of Christmas. That God became flesh and dwelt among His people. And that He would save His people from their sins. He would do so through His life and His death and His resurrection. Do you believe this? To believe in the magic of Christmas is to believe in Jesus. That's the magic we believe in. For wrapped up in, the, in, in lying in the manger is not just some cute, cuddly, chubby little boy. He, he probably was those things as well. But something far more wondrous, far more mysterious, yeah, mysterious, yes, <laughs> mystical, far more majestic, far more magical than we could ever even comprehend. The power of God and the wisdom of God lay in that manger. The Word made flesh. Does your faith rest in the person of Christ? If it doesn't, would you consider that perhaps God has brought you here today to believe? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work for you and you will be saved. If your faith does rest in the person of Christ, then I invite you now to our time around the Lord's table. You can... Get out your, your cup and prepare your elements. As we come to the Lord's table, we, we remember these truths. We partake together as a declaration of faith in what He has done for us. And we celebrate this, this by partaking of these symbolic elements. The, the bread representing His body broken for us. The juice, the cup, representing His blood, the new covenant in His blood. And we celebrate this looking, yes, right now through the manger. We look through the manger, His incarnation, this baby boy, born, born to die. We look forward to the cross and then the empty tomb. And then we look forward in anticipation of His return. For He will do what He has said He will do and will return for us. Would you pray with me before we partake of these elements? Father God, we thank You for the incredible gift of Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for this season of anticipation in which we can look longingly forward to to celebrating His birth on Christmas morning. Lord, a high point for us in, in the church along with Easter, when we celebrate really what we're celebrating right now, His his death and His resurrection on our behalf. Father God, we thank You for His life. We thank You for His sacrifice for us. His body that was broken. His blood that was shed. Lord, that we might have life through faith in Him. So we thank You for these things. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. Would you partake together with me?
And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.